This is Rock and Roll Grad School with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Take our hands, we're off to Never Never Land. Hello, kitties. We're going to have a real good time together. Mm. We are, and no, we are, because this, so our guest today is Aubrey Logan. Yes. And unfortunately, you couldn't make it out of an actual paying job. Unfortunately. Uh, yes. So it's just me, and I apologize in advance that you have no, to that's listen a, to just me. That's a gift for everybody. Okay. <laughs> it's a is gift it, that keeps on giving. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, it's kind of nice um, for me to actually get to listen like a listener, too. That's true. That's like the um, David Gilmore talked about, I think it was on the wall tour, that he got furious with Roger Waters about something. And because they only did like six dates on it, that he like threw his guitar and walked off stage and ended up going to the soundboard at the in the back of the, you know, I was going to say theater coliseum they're playing at. And he said it was the only time he got to see Pink Floyd live. Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, we're pretty good. How do you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but Aubrey is a jazz singer, jazz pop singer, I think of the, oh, here comes Warren now. You want to say hi, Warren? Hi, Warren. Yeah. But she has a new album out called Standard, and it is all jazz standards. And it's 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 fun. And, you know, you don't think, very rarely is the trombone like a lead instrument. Right. You know? And I think people also don't appreciate how hard it is to play that instrument. Oh, completely. I don't think anyone yeah. has a clue unless you that was your, you know, weapon of choice in middle school mm -hmm. band. Right. And you could really mess a person up with that thing. That's like oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a lovely talk with Aubrey. Or I guess I, I did. You just yeah. yeah. So so enjoy the episode while Heidi sits at the soundboard and watches Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like comfortably numb. one get into the trombone what age were you where you turned to your parents and said mom dad i'd like to be a jazz trombonist right uh well i <laughs> i'll back up a little bit um <laughs> my parents are music teachers they are my mom is a band director my mom is a choir director my dad's a band director k through 12 music they taught you know 35 year public school teaching veterans and uh, that's how they met and um it wasn't really exactly the fact that they taught that taught me music although that did um because i would overhear them teaching private lessons there would always be teenagers in and out of the house just taking lessons and i'd hear their repertoire and like memorize it you know indirectly but right. they i wanted to sing from a very young age because of who they were playing in the house on their own playlists like 
So they'd be playing Stevie Wonder and Dolly Parton and Beethoven and Rachmaninoff and the Eagles and James Taylor, all within the span of one hour. And as a kid, I just thought that was normal. I just thought that's how people listen to music. Um, And so I would imitate these singers. They would play. I would imitate Whitney Houston. I would imitate um, Karen Carpenter. Um, you know, not with as much emotion and feeling because when you're a child, hopefully you don't have that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but with imitation, because that's what kids do. And so I I did that and I could and I loved it. And so I got into singing very early, like like age five, six, seven. I would start to sing national anthems at Seahawks games and Mariners games and where I'm from in Seattle. And I would, um, you know, do that. And then when I was... Um, So I wanted to have that kind of career before the trombone came into the picture. And so the way the trombone came into the picture was a little later, I was doing musical theater roles in my community, Um, had my first job doing that as a, you know, before age 10. And, and then by the time I'm 12, 13, I want to be back at school with my friends, you know, like, like it's very important to me um, because everything at age 13 is a total crisis of life. And um, yeah, so my, I was back in, you know, you, you miss quite a bit of school doing the musical theater thing. And so I'm back in school with my friends and I'm in the nerdy kids classes and they're all my friends. And my mom is the choir director at my school at the time. So there's no way I'm going to be in choir, but I miss the music and my friends are all in band. And so my mom asked her colleague, the band director, can Aubrey join band? Um, And he said, sure, what does she play? And uh, she said, well, nothing. But she reads music, she plays a little piano, and she sings, so she'll learn fast. Because all the kids had started band a couple years before me. So I'm like, mom, you can't let me in there. That looks bad, and I can't look like I just joined. And he let me in the regular band, even though I'm not in beginning band. But he let me in. we did tell the truth. I could read music. I just didn't have a, an instrument. And my dad, right. who was a trumpet player, brought home several instruments from his school where he was a principal at the time, like from his band director. He brought home a saxophone, a trombone, a French horn, a clarinet, a flute. I tried to play them all in one night. Um, and I could make a sound on the trombone. And I had had reference, thanks to my parents' eclectic taste in music. I had a picture in my mind of sh- bands like Chicago and James Brown. And I'd seen a trombone. I I knew what it sounded like. Um, it's very similar to the human voice, which is what I already used all the time because it's so flexible. And so I picked it because of that and kind of like crammed a year's worth of trombone in two weeks because I was I wanted to pass my friends, not just join them, but pass them. And uh, I <laughs> and I never put it down. So when I started playing the trombone, and I really do thank my middle school band director for this because excuse me, my camera. Yeah. Quite all right. (laughs) I do thank my middle school band director for this. He exposed us in, I joined the middle school jazz band and he exposed us quickly to count Basie and taught us how to swing. And that's not something you can really learn late in life (laughs) very well. And so, um, because of that, I fell in love with jazz and then I realized, Oh, I'm playing jazz and all these songs I'm playing are, kind of familiar because a lot of them were in musical theater, which I was exposed to already, except the key difference is these singers are singing it the way they want. 
Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, whereas like all these musical theater folks are singing it the same way every night and with like a ton of enunciation and no variation. So I'm like, ooh, I can improvise within a framework on this music and I can play the trombone and sing. So that's why all that jazz like came, all that jazz came into my pop writing even, you know, even when I write mm-hmm. like this album, Sunshine is expensive, you know, it's, it's clearly a lot of pop songs that I've written, but like it's very jazzy. And this next album is a traditional jazz album, which I haven't done yet. Little did you know, I'm assuming, looking at all these instruments laid before you, that you're picking probably one of the harder ones to play well. <laughs> I had an inkling because I did realize it didn't have buttons on it. <laughs> right. It's, okay, that's a tip off. Sure. <laughs> I had an inkling. I think it, yeah, it's hard to play. It's hard to play well. It. It is kind of like I went to Berkeley College of Music and like all the saxophone mm-hmm. players are, are practicing for hours, hours. And physically, the trombone can't do that. You can't do that. Your 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 muscles will fatigue and you have to stop. Um, right. <laughs> and then like as far as playing fast. Yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of a handicap on the trombone. <laughs> and it's interesting, too. I mean, to at that age, to pick jazz, mm-hmm. to you know, to pick something that's, you know, like you said, to learn to swing correctly mm-hmm. in music, it's hard enough to master a straight rhythm and a mm-hmm. straight beat. And then to add this other wrinkle in it. Mm. I mean, was that a hard, I guess it was just sort of like, well, this is what music is. If this is kind of your first time playing in that way. Yeah. That and, you and didn't I had know been it was a- hard because you didn't know any other way. Swing sounds very easy and it's mm-hmm. supposed to. So it's truly the only reason it's difficult for people that are maybe older to learn it is just the same reason why it's difficult to learn a language when you're older, you know, so swing feels good and it feels a certain way and it's really hard to like, I'm learning French right now and I can't get the French vowel to save my life. Like, because I just, mm-hmm. we don't have that in English, you know, we don't have that sound and um, that's the same in certain f- genres, certain fe- feels of music. Um, so w- it wasn't necessarily difficult for me to feel how swing is supposed to feel. And part of that is because my parents were already playing it in my ears growing up. They were mm. already playing um, Clark Terry and Dexter Gordon and all of that. And Louis Armstrong, I was hearing it my whole life. So it was just like, oh, this is how you apply it which my band director, you know, there is math to swing. It's two, it's, you know, two triplets tied to an two eighth note triplets tied to one eighth note triplet, you know, but like, that's it. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. yes, it's hard. And, and I, it's not hard for me now. It's a feeling. It's just like how, um, certain funk artists sound so funky, you know, and funk was in my vocabulary growing up too. What was not, and I can compare it to Latin because that was not so much, that was not in my vocabulary growing up. And I was on tour recently, recently, you know, before March, 2020, um, or at the beginning of March, 2020. And we were in Europe with uh, my, my drummer, my LA drummer. And I went to Europe, did the tour. We had um, my friends, my backup singers from London join us and uh, an Italian bass player and a Spanish um, piano player, but he is from the Canary Islands, um, but which is Spain, but they have Mm -hmm. a ton of Latin music 
in their in their country in their island on their islands and he grew up with it and so he would play piano with such a beautiful latin feel like we would fake latin in some of my songs but like when he would play it it would sound real and i'm kind of asking why does he sound so authentic on that and when i try to go into that i sound not authentic and it's the same reason i mean yeah there's a math to it there's a push pull in latin rhythms that i can calculate and understand but i don't sound like i've been doing it my whole life whereas swing you just, I sound like I've been doing it my whole life because I have. Yeah, it's one of those, I feel like of genres, it's hard to fake. Yes. It's sort of like, it's hard to fake sincerity. It's hard to fake knowing that innately that swing and that rhythm of this music. Mm-hmm. So you go to Berkeley, mm-hmm. which is incredibly well known for, I was going to say music, but Contemporary uh, music. Yeah. and jazz in particular. Jazz and pop, yeah. The, the people who have come from there, the people who've taught there. Where did you go after Boston? Los Angeles. I had connections there with people that were influencing me and helping me out. Um, Patrice Russian, Solomon Burke, um, Pat Boone. Um, you can't make these things up. My if ma- you need people to influence you yeah. and support you, those yeah. are good ones. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. And so I'm... <laughs> I, LA, I was, I'm born and raised on the West coast. So New York just didn't feel as home I, mm-hmm. um, to me, even though it's a hub that I go to often, but like, it just wasn't going to be where I lived. And my husband and I moved to LA, like, I don't know, a year after I graduated Berkeley. And um, that's where I spent the last basically 10 years or so, eight to 10 years of my life. Although it was, it was home base. Cause I spent the, last or so years touring mostly, <laughs> but, um, right. but that was home base. And, um, it was a wonderful place to be just awesome. Um, especially being new to, you know, a very new artist unknown, which I still kind of am, but you know, like very, like no, like basically having to pay people to come to my shows, not the other way around. Right. Um, right. <laughs> um yeah. So that's where I went next and that's where I, you know, music school was over and you know how to run your business school had begun you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. i didn't know how hard that would be but i don't think anybody does i don't think that's a normal thing to know and um i i learned how to be an artist not just a musician um by doing which i which i learned at berkeley as well because i was still gigging and doing doing stuff but it was more like berkeley was a place where I was doing school and being a professional musician outside of school. But as far as being an mm-hmm. artist who runs a business that didn't really, really kick in until, until then. Right. Well, if you knew what it was, you probably wouldn't go into it and go through the hardships very, of being an artist. You know, if we knew our futures, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Would we? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I um, certainly don't regret any of it. And I, I think my manager for sticking with me this long and kind of going, wow, she doesn't fit in any of the record labels wants and needs. You know, it was like a, it was a very um, interesting mix of the record labels wouldn't accept me slash they would if, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. so it was, it was always that kind of dance. Um, And, and I really thank the fans for sticking with me, the OGs, you know, it's (laughs) the only reason I have a billboard, thing on my wall is because of them they they pre-ordered albums right. before they're out they follow me they they are essential and um 
I, 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 I thank them from the bottom of my heart, truly. Yeah. Well, and you I, pick a, you know, sort of difficult genre that's not necessarily burning up the pop charts. You pick, like, it's just, there's uh, sort of this winnowing of everything. And then you, you know, pick something that a, a label, like you said, this combination of sort of pop music and jazz yeah. is a hard thing to classify. It's a hard thing to put on the back of a, a poster is sort mm -hmm. of like as a, here you yeah. go, this is what you're going to see. Yeah. Did you ever feel that pull to like, I need to try something different. I need to try to streamline this uh, sound I'm hearing, or is this just, I have to stay true to what's inside my head and get it out to people. It's both. It's both. Mm -hmm. um, there's a season for everything basically. So, um, I am definitely willing to make some concessions and I have, and I, ha and you can hear it in my albums. I mean, you might not be able to pinpoint it, but I can. <laughs> and, um, and yet there's still things I love and still things I like. Um, it took a little maturing and a little humbling and a little tamping down of my pride to say, okay, I need to present this somehow. It's not that I need. And what I didn't do was, go full on pop or go really full on jazz. What I didn't do was either of that and neither, mm -hmm. but neither did snarky puppy, neither does Wolfpack, neither does, does Emily King, neither do, do all these people my age doing this. Um, right. and I attribute that to the social media world we live in, not the nineties record business we used to have that I was too young to be a part of. Um, so because of social media, I get to show people what I do on a regular, mm. on a daily basis. And so they're like, oh, got it. Whereas it's hard to explain, but it's easy to show and it's easy to listen right. to, you know? So um, that alone, you know, and that's another conversation, but that alone changed the record industry, changed the label industry. Labels aren't what they were. That's okay. Um, it's just different. And it's cool because I didn't grow up in New Orleans in the 1930s, although that might have been kind of fun and kind of hard. Mm, but if yeah. I would have, I would be playing music very differently. And I would be You'd playing also probably time. be dead. Yeah, that too. Uh, yeah, be a bummer. I, I grew up hearing every type of music. And so did everyone that is my age because we have the internet. So right. it's changed, you know. And like you said, it seems like in many ways a blessing that you have this ability to reach directly to an audience mm -hmm. and say, check this out. Yes. And that you have this ability to interact with them and mm -hmm. reach them. Yeah. Um, when it comes to sort of the life of a recording and touring musician, is it what you thought it would be? Is no. it something you still enjoy? Because you always hear these stories of people <laughs> by a certain age getting road weary and just being like, I can't, I can't do this again. Do you yeah, still enjoy it? I do. I do. It might change how it looks. It might be more intense in certain areas and less intense in other areas as things go forward. However, mm -hmm. um, of course you get shocked by how hard something is. But I think that's probably the truth with anybody in life, with any job, <laughs> with mm -hmm. or, or just with anything in life, like relationships or marriage or kids or I mean, not that I have kids yet, but, you know, I'm sure you think it's going to be something. And then you realize, oh, <laughs> Instagram versus reality, you know, um, and right. and yes, absolutely. I've been I've had moments where I've been on the road going 
oh, why do I do this? Nobody knows how hard it is because I'm trying to look like I'm having fun all the time because that's my job, but it's actually kind of hard and it's weirdly public, but it's also weirdly private. And so, yeah, of course. But um, I think that's just normal. I really, I just think it's normal for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is your husband a musician as well? By he's an he's a bass player, but he not by trade. He's a software developer. So you go out and tour, and he mm -hmm. is staying home. He's oh, not out on the road down, with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. That's got to be hard. It's well, sure, yes. Um, what what's hard being apart isn't as hard as being apart while I'm having a hard time. Mm. You know, like, like when I call him from the road saying, I've had a great day. The show was great. Um, I loved the audience, you know, miss you, but you know, he's like, cool. You know, right. he's not yeah. like, enjoying the fact that I'm not home, but he's like, okay, great. It's cool. Like, right. When I call him going, ah, and I'm in Russia and you're at home and I'm crying. Then he's like, oh my gosh, this is really tough. Cause I can't be there. You know, that's, yeah. You know, <laughs> It's actually not the 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 being apart for periods of time in and of itself isn't really the hardest part. Um, it's when right. there's problems <laughs> and we're not with each right. other. It's hard. <laughs> it, is Europe's yours? I feel like Europe has always been considered sort of a place that appreciates jazz more than the U.S. Is that something you find, or is there any other part of the world that? really digs what you're you're doing yeah europe yeah that's easy place to okay. go perform i don't have to advertise much no yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> and then as far as the records go this mm -hmm. is your third album how has that process changed for you and what have you learned sort of in the process of going into a studio and working on an album well it changed because of the events of 2020 well sure yeah um <laughs> And I had moved cities in the middle of that. So I made an album in a brand new city with brand new people. So what changed was it was a lot easier to make an album while not touring. Um, it was a lot easier to focus and get it done very thoroughly. Um, but what I've learned is, you know, it's never going to be perfect to my ears. And it's a beautiful thing to push record play the song and that's what you get. And you might play it better in a few years, but this is what people are going to listen to in their Spotify. <laughs> like, um, Cause I do, I still do a very live situation with my recording. I mean, this is a jazz album. So we were no tracking. We were all in the room. We push record. You're getting one take, you know, if it, if we didn't, it wouldn't sound like jazz. Grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worries on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Can you hear a bitter pad on that happy tune is your step? Life can be so sweet on the sunny side of the street. I used to walk in the shade with those blues on parade. But I'm not afraid. This rover crossed over. If I never had a cent, I'd be rich as Rockefeller. Gold dust at my feet on the sunny side of the street. Aubrey's new album, Standard, is available this Friday, May 21st. For more information, check out her website, 
AubreyLogan.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. You can check out our website at rockandrollgradschool.com for more grad school content. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We're tired of asking our family members to do so. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mastonen. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together. Mm-hmm.